Hello and welcome back to the Fantasy Playmakers. For today's video, I'm going to be going over my top 25 overall player rankings. So this is basically my big board if I was going to draft today. These are my top 25 guys. So from 25 to 1, I'm going to talk through every player, give some of my analysis. Let me know what you guys think about these rankings. If you agree on a guy, disagree, let me know in the comments. If you're enjoying the video, liking and subscribing would help me out a ton. So let's get into it. My number 25 is Justin Jefferson. So last year was a rookie, absolutely balled out, finished number six in total wide receiver points. Uh, and just a heads up, when I'm telling you guys where these guys ranked, this is for half point PPR scoring. So it's kind of the in-between between standard scoring and PPR. So just so you guys know that. So number six in total wide receiver points and number eight in points per game. Obviously, that's pretty solid production for a rookie. And the Vikings really haven't done that much to change their offense this offseason. They let Kyle Rudolph go. You're going to have Irv Smith kind of replace that role, who is the backup. But really, you haven't brought anyone to compete with targets with Justin Jefferson. I think he's established himself as the alpha over Adam Thielen. And last year, Thielen scored 14 touchdowns, which I think is just bound for regression. I think his second highest uh, touchdown season was nine, so he's going to regress there. And I think Justin Jefferson really has more room to grow this offseason. I think he could be even better than he was in 2020, uh, which would be saying a lot. So he's a guy that I'm definitely going to be targeting early third round if he falls to there. Next up, I've got Chris Carson at number 24. And I think this may seem a little high for some people, but my top 25 is pretty running back heavy just because I really like to get those workhorse running backs early and often. So first round, second round, third round. In the first three rounds, I would like to have two running backs at least. I'd be fine going running back, running back, running back. But Chris Carson is a guy I think that's going to be underrated this year as he is normally. So last year he was number 14 in points per game and there's kind of a narrative about him that he's injury prone and i'm gonna be honest i was kind of thinking this too i was like ah i don't know how i'm feeling about chris carson this year he seems to always disappoint with injuries but then i looked closer at the stats he's only missed eight games in the last three years i mean running back is a pretty physically demanding position so missing eight games in three years is really not that bad uh, I think it's actually above the league average for like games missed. So he's solid there. And in 2018 and 2019, he ran for at least 1,150 yards and seven touchdowns in both those years. And the Seahawks have also come out and said that they are committed to running the ball in 2021. They think they got a little bit pass heavy with Russell Wilson. They were letting him cook a little bit too much. He was taking some hits. The offense became predictable. The Seahawks re-signed Carson. He's going to be their number one. I mean, guys have been talking about Rashad Penny breaking out for all these years. They paid Chris Carson. He's going to be their guy. So I'm excited to see him as their running back one this year and as a guy that I think you're going to be able to get maybe even late third round, which I think would be really great value. Now, moving on to number 23, I have Clyde Edwards-Alaire from the Chiefs. And I know he burned some people last year. I know he burned me in at least one league. He was basically going consensus first round pick and he was a pretty big disappointment. I've seen some people try to say, oh, it was a solid rookie year for a running back. And it was a solid rookie year, 
but I mean, you can't deny that he disappointed at his ADP. He was being drafted as a guy who was supposed to be a top tier running back one, and he just did not live up to it. But I really think the perception is kind of totally flipped on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So last year, everyone was super hyped about him going to the Chiefs. He was being a first round value. And now they're just totally off the bandwagon. They're all the way on the other side. They're saying, no, I don't want any Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And in my opinion, I think this is too big of an overreaction. Clyde Edwards-Alaire actually started the year last year pretty well. He had 19 carries per game and three and a half receptions prior to Le'Veon Bell signing. But then Le'Veon Bell came in and was kind of taking some of that work. Then Clyde dealt with injuries and his season really just kind of fell off. And to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of him going into this year until the Chiefs went out and released Damian Williams because I was pretty concerned that Damian Williams, while I didn't think he was going to be the starter, would definitely be getting some work and kind of taking a little bit of that volume away from Clyde. But I really think this establishes Clyde Edwards-Alaire as their clear number one. They spent first round draft capital on him, and so I really think they're going to be feeding him. And I'm expecting to see improvements in his touchdowns. Last year, he had over 40 touches for every touchdown, which is an incredibly low number, especially for a running back. And I just can't see that staying that low. I do think he's going to struggle to score touchdowns in comparison to some of these other big workhorse backs, just because he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'7", just a little bit over 200 pounds. But he's still going to find work in the receiving game. He's going to be able to break off some of those 10-yard runs. And, you know, the Chiefs do score on those big chunk plays, but he just has to improve in that touchdown uh, department because he was just so inconsistently uh, poor with touchdowns that it just has to bounce back the other way, at least a little bit. Now moving on to number 22 with Keenan Allen. He was the number 11 receiver in points per game last year. He only played 14 games, but he still totaled 992 yards and eight receiving touchdowns in those 14 games. So those are really solid numbers. And that was with him dealing with injuries towards the end of the year. And that also includes his week one game with Tyrod Taylor, which, you know, that was why he was being faded last year because people didn't think Tyrod Taylor would be able to support him. But, you know, Tyrod Taylor somehow punctures his lung. Their uh, medical team messes up some like painkiller shot and he's basically replaced by Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert was not giving that job up. Herbert was incredibly impressive for a rookie, and Keenan Allen is going to be their number one there. And with him connected to Justin Herbert, he is going to be a clear-cut wide receiver one this year. And I think he has real potential to finish in the top half of that wide receiver one category. Now, following Keenan Allen at number 21, I have Calvin Ridley, and he was number four in total points and points per game last year. So he was on the field basically the entire season, and he was producing when he was on the field. And there's kind of this narrative going around that, oh, Julio is dealing with injuries. Now that Julio is going to be back, uh, it's going to kind of cut into Ridley's receptions. But here's the problem I have. People are fading Julio Jones because they think he's injury prone now uh, and he's getting old. But those same people are using the argument that, oh, Julio is going to be back. So Ridley's numbers are going to decrease. You can't have it both ways. And the way I'm looking at it is Julio Jones is going to have a bounce back season. I think he's going to stay healthy this year and he's really going to outperform where he's being drafted. But I think in the same way, Calvin Ridley can still produce as a wide receiver one. When Julio was hurt last year, Calvin Ridley was still effective, but he didn't average more points per game 
when Julio was injured than he did with Julio on the field. So Ridley's shown that he can produce uh, with Julio or without Julio, and I think he's a really safe option for 2021. He was number one in air yards and deep targets, so he's basically kind of etched out his own role in that offense. He's going to be the deep threat. And so he's another guy that I'm going to be looking at late second round, early third. If I can get him as my number one receiver after getting two good running backs, I will be buying that all day. Now we have Antonio Gibson coming in at number 20. Gibson finished 2020 as the number 12 running back in total points. And I just see this Washington offense really taking a step forward. Last year, you were dealing with Alex Smith. You had Kyle Allen. You had Dwayne Haskins. You basically had a revolving door at quarterback. And it ended up settling on Alex Smith, who was about the least explosive quarterback in the entire NFL. But now you have Ryan Fitzpatrick in. He's not going to be afraid to drive the ball down the field. I think this offense is going to be much more efficient. And I think they're definitely going to improve. I think Gibson's going to have more red zone opportunities. And he's just going to get more work on a more powerful offense. The only kind of disappointing aspect of Antonio Gibson for next year is the fact that JD McKissick is still there. It's kind of crazy because Antonio Gibson basically played receiver in uh, college. He was the number two running back behind Kenneth Gainwell. And Kenneth Gainwell basically uh, pushed Antonio Gibson out to the slot. And Gibson is a great pass catcher. So if McKissick wasn't there, I just think Gibson would absolutely be cleaning up and would really have an argument to be considered an RB1 this year. But with McKissick still there, I think that receiving upside is capped a little bit. So that's why he comes in here at number 20. Now at number 19, I have AJ Brown. He was number 12 in total points and finished as number five in points per game. AJ Brown went out in 2020, had a crazy successful year. It was super impressive. And then he comes out and says that he basically could have been out for the year after week two with knee problems. So the season ends, he played through these injuries all year, was playing at a high, high level, and then gets surgery on both his knees in the offseason. So, I mean, if this is A.J. Brown dealing with injuries, I can't imagine how high his ceiling is. The Texans have lost Jonu Smith, Corey Davis, and Adam Humphreys in free agency, and they've only brought in Josh Reynolds. So that's a ton of targets that's freed up. So I really don't see who Tannehill is going to throw to besides A.J. Brown. He's going to be that obvious number one option. He's going to get so many opportunities. He's already a big play guy. So if you can add a pretty safe volume on top of that, I mean, the ceiling is crazy high for him. And so if I can get him late second round, I'd be a big fan of that value. Next, I have Joe Mixon at number 18. And so he was number 11 in points per game last year. He had a shortened season, got injured pretty early on, and just never came back. But he gets an insane amount of volume, 19.8 rush attempts per game to go along with 4.3 targets. And the Bengals just went out. They released Giovanni Bernard. He signs with the Bucks, which, I mean, totally muddies up the Bucks' backfield even more. But uh, that's not for this video. So Joe Mixon now is the clear number one. He was still the number one before, but Bernard would kind of cut into those targets a little bit. He would get in on the red zone and the two-minute work. It just was a really weird uh, combination, but now he's just freed up. He's going to get even more work, and if they can go out and really bolster the O-line, I think Joe Mixon's stock is through the roof. He's kind of been notorious for getting picked high and just always kind of busting, 
but I really think this could be the year where he finishes as a high-end running back one. And so if I spend a mid-second round draft pick on him, late second round, I'm totally willing to do that. Next, we have DeAndre Hopkins, who in his first year with the Cardinals and Kyler finished number five in total points for wide receivers and number eight in points per game. He was number two in targets and receptions, so he was an absolute target machine. 160 targets, caught 115 of them, so he's obviously the clear number one. There was concerns last year before the draft, you know, how quickly is he going to be able to kind of fit into the system? Him and Kyler, are they going to have the same chemistry that Hopkins and Deshaun Watson had? And they went out and they proved all the doubters wrong pretty much instantly. They had a really successful year together, and I just kind of expect that chemistry to grow. They also went out, the Cardinals got A.J. Green to pair with Hopkins and Christian Kirk, and I think that only helps DeAndre Hopkins kind of freeze up a little bit of that coverage, gives the defense another guy to look at if Green can ever stay healthy. But DeAndre Hopkins, a super safe wide receiver, a high-end wide receiver one for me. At number 16, I have James Robinson. I don't think James Robinson is going to be picked anywhere near the spot in real drafts. He could in some leagues, but I fully expect him to fall to the third round, maybe even the early fourth, which I think is crazy. But you know, if you're drafting, you have to keep all this in mind. So if maybe I had a late second round pick, maybe I was picking second and I get that snake turnaround, I may look for a different guy because I think James Robinson could still be available in that next round. So that's how you kind of have to play with the draft a little bit. But if I was just picking best player available, not kind of taking any of that draft strategy into mind, James Robinson would be my number 16 guy. He was number seven in total points and the number eight in points per game last year. He had the number one opportunity share in the NFL at 85.2%. People are concerned about this Carlos Hyde signing. I'm going to be honest, I could not care less. I think this is ideal for James Robinson. There was no way the Jaguars weren't going to bring someone else in. I mean, an 85.2% opportunity share is not sustainable throughout someone's career. Derrick Henry doesn't even get that, and he's the total workhorse for the Titans. So I think this Hyde signing just kind of limits their maybe desire to pick a guy early in the draft to really compete with Robinson, because I think Hyde is basically locked in backup running back. I do not think he's going to take a big chunk of James Robinson's carries. And James Robinson has proven he's a very capable NFL back. And I promise you, if James Robinson was a first, second, or even third round pick in last year's draft, people would be way higher on him. But they're just concerned he's an undrafted guy. You know, the team didn't spend draft capital on him. But if the Jaguars are smart, you found your guy, you got him for a steal, you didn't have to pay that high price to get a good running back. So why don't you just keep that guy? Don't waste your other picks taking another running back. So, you know, that's kind of my plea to the Jaguars. Please do not replace James Robinson. But James Robinson is the player. He has great rushing upside. He's also a solid receiving back. So just a great kind of guy to pair with Trevor Lawrence, who's basically 100% coming to the Jaguars. And I think if you can get James Robinson in the third round and he can be a running back two, running back three, that's pretty incredible value in my opinion. Moving on to another second year running back, I have Cam Akers from the Rams. He had a slow start to 2020, but once the Rams really decided that he was going to be their workhorse, they spent the draft capital on him. He was going to be their guy. He was absolutely insane in the last kind of stretch of the season. The last four weeks, he averaged 21 and a half rush attempts per game, 
to go along with 2.75 targets per game. So they really just went all in on him. And he also got a ton of work in the playoffs. You have Matthew Stafford coming in, which I think only raises the ceiling of this offense. He's going to have much more touchdown opportunities. And, you know, Sean McVay, great offensive mind. If he wants to use Cam Akers, Cam Akers will produce. This is an offense where you saw Todd Gurley absolutely destroy fantasy leagues. People forget that just a few years ago, Todd Gurley was the consensus number one fantasy running back. So I'm not saying Cam Akers has that Todd Gurley potential because Todd Gurley, when he's healthy, was a freak. I mean, insane pass catcher, great runner. But I do think Cam Akers can fill a little bit of that void um, and put up impressive numbers in 2021. Now we have Stefan Diggs at number 14. He was basically the third best fantasy receiver last year, number three in total points and points per game. That was behind Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. He was number one in targets and receptions, 168 targets for 127 receptions. He also was first in receiving yards with 1,535 yards. It was his first year with the Bills. I mean, you really saw Josh Allen progress tremendously after Stephon Diggs came in, and I think they'll just continue to build on that chemistry. Same with Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins. The Bills lost John Brown this offseason, but they brought in Emmanuel Sanders. I think that basically cancels out. And so I see another big year for Stephon Diggs in 2021. Now we have Austin Eckler, and he was number 15 in points per game last year. Austin Eckler in PPR scoring, and even half PPR scoring, is an absolute monster. I mean, his pass catching ability is top tier in the NFL. His season last year was cut short. He only played 10 games due to a pretty nasty hamstring injury. In those games, he averaged 5.4 receptions per game. And I think you can kind of get him at his draft floor because he's going to be the receiving guy there no matter what. And he's obviously going to get some carries because he's the number one running back. But I think he really has that opportunity to become maybe 70% of the rush attempts and get that huge receiving upside. And now that the Chargers have fired Anthony Lynn, who was seemingly incompetent with playing Austin Eckler, I mean, they would have like third and goal from the eight, obvious passing down, and you have like Kellen Balage in the game. Like, what are you doing? Austin Eckler is your guy. He should be on the field when it matters most. You have their new head coach, who is the defensive coordinator for the Rams. So he comes from that Sean McVay coaching tree. Hopefully he's able to bring some of those creative offensive schemes to the Chargers. But Austin Eckler is a guy that I'm not fading this year. I was high on him last year, and I'm going back to the well again this year. And we'll be selecting him as a borderline first. I'd like it a little bit more if he was maybe my second running back, early second, but I'm more than comfortable spending the 13, 14, 15 pick on an Austin Eckler. Now we have my number two receiver, Tyreek Hill, coming in at number 12. And I think as a whole, this big board is probably going to be a little light on wide receivers just because I'm a big fan of getting those running backs. I think a receiver has a lot more depth, but I'd be fairly comfortable spending my first round pick late first round pick, you know, in a 12 team, 14 man league on a Tyreek Hill, just because he's very consistent, was number two in total points and points per game. He was number two in deep targets and touchdowns. And you know, he's just connected to Mahomes. That offense is insane. They're just so explosive. You got to think back to that Buccaneers game where he just absolutely torched them. He has that huge big playability. He can totally win you weeks and he showed a kind of newfound consistency last year. 
there had been some knocks on him where he was kind of a boomer bust player. You know, he could go for 200 yards and two touchdowns, and then the next week, two receptions for 20 yards. But I really think he kind of fixed that last year, provided a nice floor while also providing a fairly unmatched ceiling. Moving on to number 11, I have his teammate, Travis Kelsey, who, in my opinion, is the clear tight end one. I think you have Travis Kelsey, then you've just got to have a big gap between your Wallers and your Kittles. If Travis Kelsey was a receiver, he would have finished as the third ranked wide receiver in points per game. So it would have been Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, and then Travis Kelsey. And the reason why Travis Kelsey is so valuable is because he has that tight end designation. The tight end market is just so weak in fantasy football. You have Kelsey, then you have the Kittles, Wallers, then probably your Andrews, Hawkinson. And then after that, it basically is just a free-for-all. You're just hoping you have a guy who scores a touchdown on a weekly basis, and it's rough out there for tight ends. So if you're able to get a Travis Kelsey and just establish him as your tight end in your lineup, it's just a position you don't have to worry about ever. You have an automatic positional advantage every week. I mean, just listen to some of these stats. Number two in targets for tight ends, number two in red zone targets, number two in receptions, number two in yards after the catch, number one in touchdowns, air yards, and receiving yards. So he is just dominant. He is arguably Patrick Mahomes' number one option. I mean, you have Kelsey and Hill. They're both basically number one options. Mahomes and the Chiefs offense are able to support Hill and Kelsey as top tier options to their position. I understand it hurts a little bit to take a tight end in the first round, and some people may not be willing to do it just because you kind of miss out on those top-tier running backs and top-tier receivers, but if I can get Travis Kelsey at the 13, 14, 15 pick, oh, I will be all over that. You can start your fantasy draft with maybe a Nick Chubb and then a Travis Kelsey. I would be all on board for that. I really like Travis Kelsey this year. And it just provides kind of peace of mind where you don't have to worry about that tight end position every week. Now at number 10, I have Nick Chubb from the Browns. He was number nine in total points despite only playing 12 games and finished number seven in points per game. This was the first year under Kevin Stefanski who really came in and made a big difference on this offense. The Browns running game was really impressive. Chubb averaged 5.6 yards per carry. He only averaged 1.5 targets per game, which is not ideal, but you've seen running backs who can support you in fantasy like Derrick Henry, despite not getting a ton of work in the receiving game. The one thing I think about Nick Chubb is he's getting valued at some people's number six running back, number seven. He's just a little bit lower for me, and that's because I do expect some touchdown regression. In Chubb's first two years, he averaged 0.5 touchdowns per game. Then in his 12 games last year, he averaged one touchdown per game. So I just see that regressing a little bit. You do have a lot of mouths to feed there in Cleveland. You have Odell, you still have Kareem Hunt at running back, Austin Hooper at tight end, Landry at receiver. There's a lot of guys who need to get the ball, but Nick Chubb is still a very safe option. He's arguably the best pure runner in the NFL and a guy that's just gonna be pretty consistent He's going to go out there. He's going to rush for 80 yards. If he gets a touchdown, I mean, you're just golden for that week. Next, I have Ezekiel Elliott at number nine, was number 11 in total points last year and number 13 in points per game. And that may sound okay, but it was a disappointing year. I'm not going to reject that. 
I feel like I keep going back to this, but I think it's incredibly important to point out in the five games when Dak was healthy last year, Zeke averaged 22.34 PPR points per game. So those are crazy high numbers. And I expect this offense to be cooking next year. You have Dak resigned. You still have Amari Cooper. You have CD Lamb. You have Zeke. And you still have a pretty garbage defense. So that defense is going to be giving up a ton of points. The offense is going to need to keep up. They're going to be on the field a ton. They're going to be pushing the ball down the field. Zeke's going to get a lot of goal line opportunities. He's going to get work in the receiving game. He's still one of the best running backs in the NFL. And if I can get him at the end of the first round, I really like that value. I think he truly has top three running back potential this year. And the one thing you need to look out for, how is that O-line doing? They were absolutely destroyed last year with injuries, and so they really struggled. And that was a big part of why Zeke kind of let people down last year. But if that O-line can get healthy, Zeke's ceiling is so, so high. Next, I have Jonathan Taylor, who really broke out as a rookie last year, number six in total points, number 10 in points per game. Obviously, that's crazy impressive, especially for a rookie. When Jonathan Taylor was rushing, the Colts O-line was number four in run blocking efficiency. That's according to Player Profiler. So the Colts, very good O-line. It's a solid thing to have, especially for a young running back. Taylor was number two in breakaway runs. He caught 36 of 39 passes for 299 yards. Catching 36 of 39 passes is basically unheard of. That's an insane catch percentage. But I do kind of expect that number to go down a little bit just because you're going from Philip Rivers, who was basically a checkdown king, now you're downgrading to Carson Wentz, who really struggled to get Miles Sanders involved in the passing game. You also have Marlon Mack coming back, and I think people are blowing this way out of proportion. Marlon Mack is not gonna be cutting into a big chunk of Jonathan Taylor's yards. They brought him back on a one-year deal, not a lot of money. He's just gonna be a guy who knows their system. He'll take some of those carries where Jonathan Taylor may need some rest. It's definitely not ideal for them to bring him back, but I just think in this Colts system, Jonathan Taylor's ceiling is so high, and I think his floor is pretty solid too. So I think at this number eight slot, he's a guy that you definitely have to be looking at in this range. Now we have my number one receiver at number seven, Devontae Adams, the clear-cut number one wide receiver in 2020 number one in points per game, number four in targets, number two in receptions, number one in target share, number one in red zone targets. And I do think Aaron Rodgers is bound to show some touchdown regression. I mean, the amount of touchdowns he threw last year was just insane. And it's not something that's sustainable for multiple years, but he had 18 touchdowns in 14 games. That's Devontae Adams. And so he was number one in touchdowns. And so even if he loses some of those touchdowns, there is a big, big cushion from Devontae Adams to the next kind of group of receivers. I think you have Devontae Adams and you have a pretty solid cushion between then Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs and all those guys. So Devontae Adams, I think he could regress this year and still finish as the wide receiver one, even by a little bit of a margin. So even though I'm someone who likes to get those running backs early, Devontae Adams is just a very intriguing option here in the middle of the first round as a receiver. And he's the only non-running back option that I would even consider uh, this early in the draft. Moving on to number six, I have his teammate, Aaron Jones. And I think this is gonna seem like a really high ranking to some people. But in my opinion, I've seen enough from Aaron Jones to feel confident ranking him there. 
He was number five in points and points per game last year. And in the last two years, he's had at least 1,000 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns, 45 receptions, and 350 receiving yards. So he's getting it done on the ground and he's getting it done in the air. You had everyone on this AJ Dillon hype train. And I feel like people hyped AJ Dillon up so much because they thought that he was going to be the starter that now that Aaron Jones is back, they're like, I don't know how I'm feeling about Aaron Jones. You know, you have AJ Dillon there. People forget that Jamal Williams was one of the top backup running backs in the last couple of years. He was getting a lot of work in the rushing and receiving game. And Aaron Jones was still able to produce at an extremely high level for fantasy. So I am not concerned about AJ Dillon at all. He may cut into Aaron Jones carries a little bit more than Jamal Williams did, but that's just going to give Aaron Jones more targets because AJ Dillon is nowhere near the receiving back that Jamal Williams is. So I don't really see this affecting Aaron Jones at all. Aaron Jones has dealt with good backup running backs before and still succeeded. At number five, I have Saquon Barkley. He was number two in points per game in 2018, then number six in points per game in 2019. Then, as most people know, in 2020, came out, tore his ACL. And it's honestly, it's a little bit concerning to me. It's really hard to not rank him at the top half of the first round. But I'm going to be honest, if I'm picking here at number five or number six, I don't know if I'm feeling super comfortable with Saquon. I mean, his ability is basically unmatched. His athleticism is unreal. He's up there with the Christian McCaffreys in terms of rushing and receiving upside. But you can't deny that there are red flags with him this year. We don't know how he's going to come off of that ACL tear, if he's going to be 100% ready for the season. And even if he physically is 100%, is he going to feel confident going out there, making those crazy athletic plays that he's used to? The Giants also do not have a great O-line. They've been working on it, but it's definitely not up to uh, par with some of the other running backs on this list. So right now, he is going to be my number five. But if there's some reports that are coming out, maybe closer to training camp that are saying he's had some setbacks, he's a guy that I may just fade because I know he's going to get picked likely in the top six in basically every single draft this year. Next, I have Derrick Henry at number four. And basically, in 2020, Derrick Henry was number two in total points and number four in points per game. He had the number four opportunity share. He was first in carries, first in rush yards, second in running back touchdowns, number one in breakaway runs, and number one in evaded tackles. So Derrick Henry is just an absolute force of nature on the field. He has limited work in the receiving game, but his rushing upside is just so absurd. It just overrides any lack of receiving game he has. And I feel like people are waiting for Derrick Henry to just totally fall off due to how much of a workload he has, but I just don't see it coming. I don't think Derrick Henry is human. He's only missed two games in his five seasons, despite being you know, one of the running backs that takes the most hits, gets the most carries. And so if I haven't seen any signs of him slowing down, I'm not going to be fading him for the amount of carries because I guess every running back can kind of handle that differently. Some guys probably wouldn't be able to do one season of a Derrick Henry workload, but he's shown that he can do this work and stay on the field and is one of the safest options in my opinion this year. So if I'm picking at number four or even number three, I'm totally confident taking Derrick Henry there. You set your running back one, you know what you're getting on a week to week basis the odds of him missing a big chunk of time are really low. So that is why I'm once again a big fan of Derrick Henry this year. 
Next at number three, I have Alvin Kamara, who was the number one in total points for running backs last year and number three in points per game. Kamara's upside is pretty similar to Saquon and Christian McCaffrey's in the sense that he is a great receiving back. He averaged 7.1 targets per game in 2020, which for a running back is insanely high. I mean, that's a good number for your receivers. But Alvin Kamara as a running back was getting uh, 10 plus carries a game while adding those targets on top of it. In Kamara's first four seasons, he's caught at least 80 passes, which is also a crazy high number. And even though I know Kamara is a great receiving back, I think some of that receiving upside was helped by Drew Brees. Later in his career, he was not forcing the ball down the field. He was hitting Kamara on a lot of those checkdowns. And so while Kamara is insanely talented, if you don't have a quarterback that can consistently get you the ball, I mean, that talent is kind of useless. So with Drew Brees retiring, I think that definitely hurts Kamara's value. If Drew Brees was still there, I think there's an argument for Kamara to be at the running back one. I don't think I would have had him there, but I wouldn't hate someone for picking him there. But now you have a kind of Winston Hill uh, quarterback competition. I feel like I've kind of found a middle ground on my Alvin Kamara ranking. You're going to have the guys who say Alvin Kamara is so talented. Even if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, Alvin Kamara is still going to feast and can be a picked one, two, or three. And then you have other people saying, I don't know if I want to pick Kamara in the first round if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, just because that small sample size last year where Kamara was not effective when Hill was on the field. But I just cannot imagine the Saints go through the entire offseason. They announce Hill as the starter, and Sean Payton hasn't worked Kamara into a huge part of this offense. That's just not going to happen. Sean Payton is too smart to not use Kamara to the best of his abilities. And so first off, I don't expect Hill to be the full starter. I expect Winston to be the guy. And, you know, Hill gets a little bit of work maybe, which cuts into Kamara's red zone opportunities. But I do think Kamara is still going to be heavily involved in this offense. And I think you have a debate between Henry and Kamara. And I think if you want to go for that riskier upside play, that's Kamara because of his receiving upside. But if you just want a very, very safe option at the number three pick, I think Derrick Henry's your guy. Moving on to number two, I have Dalvin Cook, who was number three in total points and number one in points per game last year. In the past, he was faded for being injury prone, but I think he's kind of shown that that is not the case. Only missed three games from injuries in the last two seasons. He missed two games last year, but one of them was because of a, you know, a family death, so I'm not going to hold that against him. That has nothing to do with his injuries. Last year, he was number two in carries per game with 22.3 carries per game, which is very solid. Then number 15 in targets with 3.9 targets. So he's another one of these guys that balances the rushing and receiving game very well. And in half point PPR, PPR formats, that's what really uh, propels you to that top tier running back status, unless your name is Derrick Henry. But also red zone touches, number one with 66 red zone touches. So even though you have Adam Thielen who really overproduced in terms of touchdowns and Justin Jefferson, who's a top tier receiver. When the Vikings were in the red zone, they were feeding Dalvin Cook. They were getting him the ball on the ground and in the air, and he was punching it in. So Dalvin Cook is the clear cut workhorse for the Vikings. He's going to get a ton of opportunities per usual and a guy that I'm confident with here at the number two spot. Now my number one guy, 
I do not think this should change. I think this should be consensus on everybody's boards. Christian McCaffrey, number one. Number one in points per game in 2019 and 2020. Only played three games in 2020, but I am not concerned about his injuries. From 2017 to 2019, he played in all 16 games. There is not a player in the NFL who has Christian McCaffrey's fantasy upside. The combination of his rushing and his receiving with the total volume the Panthers feed him, it's really just unmatched. McCaffrey had 100 plus targets in his first three seasons, and that was obviously broken last year because he only played three games. 100 plus targets a year is top tier wide receiver numbers, and McCaffrey's getting that as a running back while still carrying the ball close to 20 times a game. So I honestly can't really find an argument to put any other running back ahead of McCaffrey. The Panthers did have a QB change this offseason, went from Bridgewater to Sam Darnold. But in my opinion, you went from one subpar quarterback to another pretty subpar quarterback. And Sam Darnold just has a higher ceiling. So I don't think that hurts McCaffrey at all. And he will be my number one pick. If I have the number one slot in any leagues, he's going to be the guy I get. You start your team with Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you really just have such a cushion from McCaffrey to the next running backs where McCaffrey could go out and he could legitimately average 30 points per game. And I don't see any other guy having that kind of upside. So you could really get a five point per game difference between the number one and number two pick. All right, guys, that was definitely a long one. Uh, Top 25 overall player rankings. If you guys enjoyed the video and stuck around this long, liking and subscribing would really help me out. I would be really appreciative of that. Let me know your guys' thoughts on these rankings in the comments. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. I'll continue to update this list throughout the offseason. Once the draft happens, I'll probably come out with new updated rankings because you kind of see maybe what teams filled some needs. You know, did they bring in a competitor at that position? You know, all that stuff is going to matter. But this is what I have for now if I'm drafting today. Maybe you're doing best ball drafts, uh, stuff like that. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. Uh, I'll see you next time.